अखंडम सच्चिदानंदम अवांगमनसगोचरम आत्मानम अखिलाधारम I take refuge in the self, the indivisible, the existence, consciousness, bliss, absolute, beyond the reach of words and thought, and the substratum of all, for the attainment of my cherished desire. So we are reading the section on the inquiry into who am I, the various ideas of the Atman, of the self. What's going on in this chapter? Remember, the whole teaching is in the form of Adhyaropabhavada, superimposition and desuperimposition. We are Brahman, but we have superimposed. That means so superimposition means taking something for what it is not, taking a rope to be a snake by mistake, by error. We do not realize that we are Brahman, but we experience a world and a body and a mind, and we think of ourselves as limited beings, as jivas and involved in samsara. So this is our current state. This is called adhyaropa, superimposition. How did we come to be in this state? This is what is going on. From Brahman up to this universe and with the body-mind superimposed, here we are. So what do we superimpose? What do we think about ourselves? Why is that question important at all? It's because if you think about it, um, from what we have learned so far, this world and um, this body, mind, um, this is not made by us. No matter how spiritual you are, no matter how advanced you are, you cannot wipe out the world. You cannot wipe out this body. So the, uh, even after uh, spiritual knowledge, enlightenment, you'll still see, an, you see a world. You'll still see this body. Why? Because now we can answer this. We have studied, where did all this come from? the five um, um, primal elements. And those five primal elements, it's, that's a mixture, that's the, what has created this entire world, matter basically. And all of that came from subtle matter, sukshmatan matter, the five subtle elements. And all of that came from uh, maya. And maya is nothing other than the power of, of Brahman. So the power of God, let's put it this way. Saguna Brahman with maya creates this universe or projects this universe, not us. You haven't projected this universe, I haven't projected this universe, nor have we projected this body, not even this mind. So um, even after enlightenment, you can't, you can't destroy all of this. This will still appear. But what we have done is, at our level, as individual beings right now, what we can do is to repair the damage that we have done. What we have done is, we do not know ourselves as Brahman. And we do not know that this entire universe which you are experiencing is nothing other than Brahman. We think of it as a real threatening or tempting, threatening or tempting, Raga Dvesha, a world out there. And we think of ourselves as these limited bodies, born and aging and prone to disease and accident and you know, coronavirus and whatnot and death. And we are these minds also, uh, which are prone to uh, sorrow and frustration and you know being unhappy and we have we are in samsara this is this damage we have done Ishwara has not done anything in all of this what i'm saying in, in hindi they put it very nicely uh, Ishwar, Ishwar, deta hai. 
the creation of god actually does not give suffering suffering is due to our ignorance we often we make make the mistake thinking about vedanta god created this universe and what a kind of problem he has put us in why did he do all of that actually god has not put us in any kind of problem you know what is the test of this after vedantic enlightenment what what would you expect to become a jeevan mukta free while living that's the goal then look at the people you think who have become enlightened they all lived in this very world they all lived in the body often old body aging diseased body they lived there and yet they claimed they were free of suffering they had transcended or they did not complain oh we have become enlightened but just for this uh, nasty little universe uh, <laughs> why did god create this otherwise i'm fine no no none of them ever complained anymore before that we complain after that no complain in fact one way i say <laughs> about enlightenment one marker is you cannot complain after enlightenment so don't be in a hurry to become enlightened no more grumbling allowed after enlightenment why no more grumbling allowed uh, there is a serious issue here the issue is this that what we grumble about the world and our own bodies and our own state of mind all these are the things which we grumble about this problem is ours we have created it and what vedanta can do is to remove this uh, this this damage that we have uh, created the damage that we have created is a technical name for that in vedanta it is called jiva srishti the projection the superimposition the errors committed by us in ignorance and this we can repair by knowledge vedantic knowledge i am brahman all of this is an appearance in brahman will repair the damage the appearance will continue and now we can see from the what we have read so far why the appearance will continue brahman limited by maya is called saguna brahman and with that maya has projected the five subtle elements and the five uh, gross elements and out of that constructed the 14 worlds and all these bodies and all of that so that will continue that that is always there it is there now and it will continue this appearance will continue but we will realize that it is an appearance and hence be free of all sorrow and suffering so now we have seen what are the kinds of errors that uh, people ordinary people and great philosophers also they make about the self we have seen nine such points of view nine the um, ordinary man on the street who said my children are myself then comes the first materialist who said no no uh, body is the self i am body then comes the next materialist who says i am the sensory system then and these are all pretty sophisticated positions you can actually argue them out pretty well and then comes the next materialist who says i am life and living body has to be only life has to be identified with self not the body or just senses then the next materialist comes and says no i am mind um then comes the first buddhist the mind only school if you remember the sixth position was the mind only school of buddhism who said uh, the vigyana maya kosha the flashes of cognition stream of cognition is called self or it generates the illusion of a self and then comes the uh, mimamsa school and the nyaya vaisheshika school prabhakara tarkika we remember and they say that uh, the ananda maya kosha that is the atman i'm not explaining in detail and then comes the next school of mimamsakas the kumarila bhatta school which said uh, consciousness plus the ananda maya kosha is the atman and then finally the ninth position was uh, that of the uh, 
emptiness school of Buddhism, the Shunyavadi, the most sophisticated. We saw a little taste of what Nagarjuna did last time. Uh, very sophisticated dialectics, which proves the emptiness. Shunyata Sarvadrishti Nama of all philosophies, uh, it is that the, the views are empty. So the Shunyavadi, who says, actually, there is no self as such, it is empty. What is empty that we can debate about? Uh, one view would be as the traditional Vedantins took it to be. Emptiness means nothing. Um, and it should not be dismissed. That emptiness means nothing at all. That seems very unfair to say, put it like that, because Nagarjuna himself and Chandrakirti after him has taken pains to show that, it's, no, we are not saying that there is nothing. Um, we have something deeper to say. But uh, it should not dismiss it entirely how is it possible that just about every one of the opponents of the uh, emptiness school have interpreted them as nihilists, including the Vedantins? The Vedantins, the uh, Mimamsakas, the Nyaya school, all of them held that this particular group of Buddhists, um, which is the core philosophy of Mahayana, by the way, they are saying that nothing exists. And um, I was talking to this um, professor of philosophy uh, at, at Harvard, and he, I just remember, we're standing in Emerson Hall in the hallway and talking about this. And he said, I was saying that Shankaracharya dismisses the Madhyamaka school as, say, as nihilists, as they say that nothing exists. And it's sort of unfair. I'm a non-dualist, I'm an Advaitin. And uh, still, I seem to think that this is, uh, he has been too cavalier in this, just dismissing them like this. And this professor, he said, you know, um, after all, after all of Nagarjuna's sophisticated dialectics, it still might amount to that, that uh, he is saying it is nothing. Uh, so note that the great Vasubandhu, who was uh, Nagarjuna's successor, um, yeah, successor, and a great philosopher of the mind-only school, he too, a Buddhist, he too dismissed the Madhyamaka as saying that, that they're nihilists, that they, they really mean that there is nothing. Anyway, so this debate goes on. Um, our view as Advaitins, modern Advaitins, and that was the view, I think, of um, many of the modern philo Vedantic philosophers, Dr. Radhakrishnan, um, um, T.R.V. Murthy, um, Chandradhar Sharma, whom I referred to yesterday, and uh, certainly Swami uh, Sharadanandaji, uh, and the number of uh, Abhidhanandaji, um, I think Vivek and Vivekananda also. So our view is that uh, that is just another way of expressing Brahman, the, the absolute, not nothing. All right. Now, these are the nine positions. And here comes the great hero now to end the, the climax of the whole, whole section is the Advaitin, of course is going to come and is going to show that they're all wrong. And the self is Satchidananda, existence, consciousness, bliss. The self is pure consciousness, is, uh, uh, is pure being, is uh, ultimate bliss, uh, as revealed by the Upanishads. And, um, um, and the positions taken by them are wrong. And this, uh, this uh, conclusion, the non-dualist or Advaitin, will do in two ways. One way is, first of all, that Advaitin will say, I don't have to prove anything. 
notice that each of these positions, they have cut the previous position. So uh, each philosopher comes forward and gives a quotation from the Shruti, the Upanishads to support his position and an argument, reasons, good reasons to support his position and um, a, a, a corresponding experience, Anubhava, Shruti Yukti Anubhava. But those are cut down by the next philosopher who comes along. And that, that position is cut down by the, the one who comes after that. So they have cut each other down. At the most, you can say the final and the most sophisticated and the subtle position is that of the Madhyamaka of Nagarjuna. That might remain. But basically, everybody else has been defeated already. So I don't have to do it. You have, you have done it yourself. You have fought against each other and you have decimated yourself. So I don't have to go and uh, case by case and take up each one. At the most, I might have to defeat the uh, Madhyamaka philosopher or the Shunyavadi. So that was that will be one approach. They cut each other down. And this is something the, uh, he's taking from. It's a very uh, interesting approach, which, which if you remember, Gaudapada has done in the Mandukya Karika. Parasparam virudhyante. He says, this is Asparsha Yoga. Advaita Vedanta is the no contact um, philosophy of non-duality. Um, all other philosophers contradict each other. But we have no contradiction with any of them. Why? It seems that you are contradicting all of them. We have no contradiction with any of them because they are all false. How can the reality have any contradiction with the false? <laughs> Gaurapada gives the example of all these other philosophers are um, like this, you know, on a village path, suppose you're going on your elephant and there's a madman on your path who says, come, charge your elephant against my elephant. We'll, let's have an elephant fight. But the madman doesn't have an elephant. He's just standing there. So you can't have an elephant fight with a madman. because there is. So similarly, all these philosophers, they have no position to defend anyway. It's all false. And therefore, uh, uh, Advaita need not have contradiction with them. Or... So this is one way. He will do that now. The second way will be, no, let's do the hard work of taking up each position and showing that they are wrong and establishing the non-dualist position by giving Shruti, Yukti, Anubhuti, quotations from the Upanishads, support from the Upanishads, uh, arguments, good arguments, and uh, experience. So first, 132, text number 132. Etesham putradinam anatmatvam uchyate. Now it will be shown that all these from the sun to the void are not the self. All these, all these nine positions, uh, which we just talked about. And remember, these are not just nine positions. There are many more. It's just a sampling of the major philosophies. Um, the traditional classification talks about 12 philosophies. Six Astika philosophies and six Nastika. Astika means uh, the orthodox, which accept the Vedas as uh, revealed scripture, uh, as a source of spiritual knowledge. And the six um, unorthodox or heterodox, which do not, which, which reject the Vedas. So the six orthodox schools are the Nyaya, the Vaisheshika, the Sankhya, the Yoga, the Purva Mimamsa, and Vedanta, Ruttara Mimamsa. These are the so-called Sharadarshana, six philosophies. But there are six other philosophies. Uh, which are uh, with outside the orthodox Hindu fold. So there is the Charvaka, the materialists. And we just saw there are many kinds of materialists, some crude, some sophisticated. So the Charvaka. And then there is the, the Jaina school, which we have not seen in this text. 
there is the Buddhist school. There are four Buddhist schools. Um, the Shotrantika, Vaibhasika, the Yogachara Vigyanavada and the Madhyamaka Shunyavada, of which we have seen two. The mind-only school and the emptiness school, we have seen two of them. So there are a total of 12 in this classification. Um, there is a title that if you are a master of all of these 12 philosophies, you get the grand title of Dwadasha Darshana Kanana Keshari, the lion who stalks in the forest of 12 philosophies. That's your title. So you'll have to spend lots and lots of time with dusty old Sanskrit texts to get that title. And uh, another book, if you go to the Sarva Darshana Sangra, which is a compendium of ancient Indian philosophies written about 500, 600 years ago um, by Madhavacharya, not Madhavacharya, Madhavacharya. Uh, in that book, you get 15 different philosophies. So there are many, many positions of which only nine have been taken here. So he says, Etesham, these nine, which say that the self or Atma is nothing but Putra Adinam, um, son or child, etc. Son or child or body, and senses and life and mind and intellect and the causal body and so on, or, or emptiness. Anatmatvam, none of them are the self. And that will be explained now. We're going to explain that why they are not the self. First, remember two approaches. First, this approach we will see. Etai ati prakritadi vadi bhi ukteshu shuti yukti anubhava abhaseshu purva 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 ukta shuti yukta anubhava abhasanam uttara uttara shuti yukti anubhava abhaseit atmatva badha darshanat since in all these fallacious citations of scriptural passages, arguments and personal experiences made by the different case classes of people enumerated above, beginning with the extremely deluded in support of their respective views about the self, the subsequent views contradict the previous one. It becomes clear, quite clear, that all these items from the sun to the void are not the self. Okay, what, are, what was said here? By all of these positions, starting with the, uh, you know, the ordinary person and the materialists up to the emptiness school, they have given various theories. And all of them, all these theories, are, they do not give a correct view of the self. They are refuted. Why are they refuted? Because the... Shruti Yukti Anubhuti, the, the citations from the Upanishads, the arguments they give and the experiences they cite, they are not real. They are not correct. Why are they not correct? This is Shruti Yukti Anubhava Abhasa. Shruti Abhasa. Abhasa means appearance, false, shadow. We are quoting from the Upanishads. Why is it a shadow? Why is it false? It's false because what you are quoting, the, we are saying to them, what you are quoting is not the, the purport, the meaning in Sanskrit, tatpadya, the conclusion of the Upanishads. So, for example, um, somebody said body is the self. And that person, that philosopher quoted from the Upanishads saying, Annamaya Atma, from Taittiri Upanishad, which is very convenient to mine for these sentences. What you're doing is you're plucking out a sentence at random. 
Um, and uh, the it is not the purport of the whole uh, text. If body is the self, and that was the teaching of the Upanishad, the Upanishad should have stopped there. But the Upanishad itself cuts down that position. What does the Upanishad say? Anyantaratma pranamayaha. The self is anya, not the body. It is subtler, inward, antara. And the self is prana, life. But then again, that position is abandoned. And then it goes to the mind. That position is abandoned. Mind is also not the self. It goes to the intellect, vijnanamaya. Then it goes to the anandamaya, and so on. So, um, these are not positions that the Upanishad sticks to. Then why has, why has the Upanishad said it? One might say, this is called Arundhati Nyaya. The uh, uh, Arundhati star is to be pointed out. It's a very faint star. So it's pointed out by pointing to first the bright, uh, uh, first the branch of the tree. And from the branch of the tree, next to it, look at the bright star. And next to that, you see, notice the um, a fainter star. And near it, you will see the faint, much more faint Arundhati. You can't just, if you just point, look, there's Arundhati. You may know which one it is, but the person who doesn't know it can't make out in the mass of stars. So you go from the gross, the most obvious, to the more subtle, to the less obvious, until you point out what you wanted to point out. So people who identify themselves with the body, you have to start there. There's the method of a good teacher is to go from the known to the unknown, from the near to the far. Here it's not far, it's closer in fact. Uh, from the outer to the inner, and from what is to what shall be, from what, what you are comfortable with or to what the Vedanta wants to teach you. So that's the method of a good teacher. And that's what it's going on. That's what's going on. Instead of seeing that, you are, you, uh, different positions, there are different philosophers, you are picking out random statements which support your position and quoting that. That is not the meaning, the purport, the ultimate purpose of the text. You have to read the whole text before you come. You can quote something. So this is called Shruti Abhasa, a false citation of the text of the scriptures. This is an English saying that the devil quotes the scriptures, or something like that. Then comes the Yukti Abhasa, false arguments, wrong arguments. And these wrong arguments have been refuted by themselves. You see, somebody said, my son is myself. And remember the next um, person who came along and said that the body is the self and gave an argument. You may agree or not agree with the argument. There's an argument which shows that one abandons one's children if one's body is threatened. So um, therefore, the child cannot be the self. The body is the self. That's an argument. And that argument cut down the earlier arguments. So this is called yukti abhasa. Your arguments have already been refuted. Each one argument has been refuted, refuted by the one coming after you. Then what's, what's next? Anubhava abhasa. Abhasa means shadow. Anubhava means experience. But these are experiences. I feel my child is my own self. Or I feel the body is me. I feel it actually. How can you say this experience is false? This experience is not false. But the meaning that you are deriving from that experience, because I'm so attached to the body, therefore I must be the body. No. It does not follow. So... The next experience will come along and they say, I am the sensory system. For example, the body is paralyzed. I don't feel. Uh, I mean, the way I feel this hand is mine. If this hand is paralyzed, I will not feel that it's, it's me in that way. It just looks like a, I mean, there's no sensation, nothing there. But this will feel like me because I can move it and feel. 
So that means the sensory system uh, is important in the sense of self. And the person will say, senses are the self. Then somebody will come and say, no, no, uh, mind is the self. I am always closely identified with the mind. When I am dreaming, I have no connection with the sleeping body. I have no uh, self-connection. That means the sense that I'm, I do not identify with the sleeping body. I do not identify with the sleeping senses. Rather, where am I? I am identified with the dream body and the senses in the dream world. So what is going on? I am identified with the mind, the dreaming mind. So the mind is the self. So this kind of argument... Uh, this kind of experience, it cuts down the previous experiences. All of these experiences are cut down. Ultimately, you come to the uh, emptiness. So, and so as you say, they are all cut down. They do not prove what they are meant to prove. They do not, the Upanishad scriptures, quotations you are showing, they do not prove that the uh, self, they have, they have, you have not shown that the self is body or mind or intellect. The arguments do not show that. The experiences you have quoted, they also do not um, amount to showing that the self, Atma, is body or mind or intellect or whatever. So now, he says, um, Purva Purva, by each, the earlier one has been cut down. Uttara Uttara, Uttara Uttara means the ones who come afterwards. They are cut down by the Shruti Yukti Anubhava. Abhasi, they're all like shadows. They're all false quotations, false arguments and false experience. Of course, we are saying it. I'm sure uh, all those philosophers would be very annoyed. They don't think that they are false arg arguments or quotations. Um, so this is, he says, Pashtamaya, which is very clear. Whatever you have said is not the Atma, is not the self. Now, at this point, they may say, that's very clever, Mr. Non-Dualist. Um, or Mrs. Non-Dualist, uh, you, you, you are avoiding the hard work. You must, like each of us, we gave quotations from your Upanishads. So you also must give quotations from your Upanishad to show that the self is consciousness and you know, pure being, Satchidananda. And you must use those quotations to show that our quotations are wrong. Can you show us from the Upanishad that what we said, body is the self. Show us that it's wrong from the Upanishad, one. Then you must give arguments on top of that to cut down our arguments. And then you must show it in experience. Where do we experience that we are existence, consciousness, bliss? So do the hard work. Don't just say we have cut down each other and good, goodbye, finished. Um, it's all refuted. So now the second approach comes where the actual hard work is done of step-by-step step refuting each one. It's a long sentence, text number 134. Kincha Ghatadivad anityatvad aham brahmeti vidvadanubhava prabalyacha tattat shruti yukti anubhava abhasanam baditatvadapi utradishunyaparyanta makilam anatmaiva. So this text cuts down all the nine positions. How? In one sentence, long sentence, where a lot has been packed into it. What is he going to do now? 
he's going to take give you he's going to give us he means the uh, sadananda yogendra who's taking the side of the non dualists he's going to give us quotations from the upanishads to show all the earlier quotations uh, quotations are wrong the claim that they are all shadows they're false they have been wrongly applied not that the upanishad sentences are wrong it's just they have been wrongly applied he's going to show that they do not apply they do not pertain to the real self then he's going to take up arguments which will cut down their arguments and then he's going to take up experience which is going to cut down their experience and therefore show that all of those theories about the self are wrong now let's look at the upanishads first nine quotations to cut down each of those nine nine uh, positions who had quoted their own uh, preferred upanishad sentences so kincha moreover i've already shown you contradict each other but now more if you want me to tell you in detail all right i'll tell you moreover so each word i will take up and i'll show why why he's making this quotation each word is actually um it points to a quotation from the upanishad he's not giving the entire sentence he's just taking a word from each sentence of one particular upanishad so you are supposed to know everything all the upanishads if you just quote one sentence you should know oh this is one word you should know that this comes from this sentence of this upanishad so he says pratyag pratyag means inner what is he quoting here he is quoting so in, in i don't know if you've got this book uh in page in the next page you'll find all the details are given where are the quotations from so he is quoting from the uh kathopanishad um kathopanishad verse very nice verse important verse in kathopanishad which shows why is it that we don't realize ourselves as satchidananda and who will realize the satchidananda that become enlightened so the the mantra goes ಪರಾಂಗಪಶ್ಯಾತ್ಮನ್ಯತಿಪ್ಯಾಂಗಪಶ್ಯತಿಮ್ಯಾಂಗಪಶ್ಯತಿಮ್ಯಾಂಗ
outside. So clearly the self is inner. The Kata Upanishad says the self is innermost within yourself, your, the, the, the core of your being, not something outside or someone outside. So this cuts down your uh, position that the self is something outside. Upanishad cuts it down. Then you see how this, this, this is the way he's going to go. Each one he will take up. Then the next word, asthulam, not gross, not physical. Um, this is a quotation from the Brihadaranyaka Upanishad. Asthulam, asthulam ananu araswam adirgham. The Brihadaranyaka Upanishad, the quotation is given here. The self is uh, not gross, uh, not atomic, um, not short, not long, and so on. Everything is denied. Neti, neti. Everything is denied of the self. Therefore, but the key word is asthulam, not gross. Who is the second position? The, the second philosopher who came along. Body, the gross body, physical body is the self. And look, here is a quotation. The Upanishad says, that which is gross or physical is not the self. So your position is wrong. Then comes the next word he says, achakshu. So this is the quotation you will see from um, Mundaka Upanishad. Achakshu shrotram tadapani padam. Achakshu means without, literally without eyes, without sense, senses, without sensory system. Uh, this is a quotation from the, the Mundaka Upanishad. Very beautiful section. Um, we will do all this eventually. That's why we are reading the uh, Vedanta Sara as a sort of in entry into all of this. There's a very beautiful section in the Mundaka Upanishad where the student, Shaunaka, he goes to the teacher, uh, Angira. Shaunako havai mahashalo angira samvidivadupasanna papracha kasminu bhagavo vigyate sarvamidam vigyatam bhavati iti. So, this Shaunaka, who was a very well to do householder, notice he is a householder. Uh, he goes to this master and Angiras and asks him, uh, Sir, what is that by knowing which everything is known? Everything in the universe is known, inside, outside, everything, by knowing one thing. Then the teacher tells him that knowledge, you're seeking knowledge, but first of all, back up a little, knowledge is of two kinds, two kinds, relative and uh, supreme, the lower and the higher. So he said unto the student, there are two kinds of knowledge, the higher and the lower, the transcendent and the relative, para para. Um, and this is what we have heard from the great masters of the, who have taught us about Brahman. So immediately Aman becomes curious. So what is the lower knowledge and what is the higher knowledge? What is the relative knowledge? What is the transcendent knowledge? So the teacher goes on. Tatra para rigveda yajurveda samaveda atharvaveda shiksha kalpa vyakaranam niruktam chando jyotishamiti ataparayayata daksharamadigamyate. He says the upper, the lower, lower wisdom, the lower knowledge is basically all knowledge, whatever you learn in the university, the whole syllabus 
Rig Veda, Yajur Veda, Sama Veda, Atharva Veda, the six auxiliaries, Vedangas, which are useful for studying the Vedas. Shiksha, Kalpa, Vyakarana, Nirukta, Chanda, Jyotisha. All of that, all knowledge, what you know as knowledge, whatever you read in school, uh, everything is lower knowledge. If everything is lower knowledge, then what is the higher knowledge? You have just covered everything in the syllabus. No, the higher knowledge is that by which God is realized. The ultimate is realized. Yaya akshara adhigamyate. The word used for the ultimate reality is akshara, the unchanging. The akshara, by which you realize the akshara, that is called um, the higher knowledge. Now see how the teacher is building up to answer the question. What was the question? What is the one thing by knowing which I can know everything? And that one thing he's going to answer now. So I'm going to point out that one thing what you are asking for is this akshara. Now what is this akshara? What is this like, the ultimate reality? So, that ultimate reality, which we are going to realize, you asked about that, um, is, uh, is um, uh, it is beyond all the senses. Uh, it is adrishyam. Adrishyam means you can't see it, hear it, smell it, taste it, touch it. Um, and uh, agrahyam. It is beyond the range of all the, the motor organs, like the five organs of action. You can't walk to it. Uh, you can't catch hold of it with your hands and so on. Um, then <laughs> I still remember a very f little funny incident, silly, but this came to mind. There was once this brahmachari who was very intense, um, he was always very serious. I never saw him smile. He ultimately left. Uh, <laughs> so it goes to show that you have to be a little relaxed even in spiritual life because it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. So he was like, he's going to realize God within the next week or so, so by week, the weekend. And he was always very rigid and very, very, uh, you know, um, tense. So I remember once after food in, in the ashram, um, we were going to wash our hands Brahmachari, suddenly he rushes forth and he opens the tap and then he's washing his hands like this. And the old Swami who was in charge of the ashram, he looked at the Brahmachari, he's telling me, look how he grabbed the tap. It's like he's grabbing Brahman, catching hold of Brahman. <laughs> that's that's how, uh, in Bengali he was saying. Like, <laughs> but you can't catch hold of Brahman. It is... Um, uh, agrahyam. Anyway, silly. Adreshyam um, agrahyam agotram avarnam. So agotram, literally gotram means Hindus have a lineage. So you have to, if you ask who, what is your gotra, you trace our, we trace our lineage back to some rishi or the other. But here um, gotra means no lineage, no source. You are consciousness. Where have you come from? From nowhere. Everything has come from you or appears in you. But you have not come from anywhere. You are the causeless cause, let us say, in one way. So, Agotra means without any... So, it, it is by itself. That ultimate reality is by itself. It's not come. It's not part of the chain of causation, actually. Uh, it is not even a cause. Um, then, Avarnam, literally without color. That means without any characteristics. Nirgunam, without any, any characteristics. And then, he says... Um, Achakshu Shrotram Tadapani Padam. 
So it is not a sentient being with sense organs, its eyes and ears, uh, or with hands and feet. No, we are not talking about this jiva here. We are talking about just consciousness itself, which which does not have eyes and ears and and you know all these things. So that is the thing he has picked up um, when he says achakshu shrotram, this portion, the ultimate reality, which is yourself, is uh, um, is without sensory system. You, then what is this? That charvaka, that materialist who said the self must be identified with the sensory system. It's only when the senses are functioning that we have a sense of self. So no, the Upanishad rejects that also. So yeah, all of this, just one word he's giving. This is all packed into that word. Then aprano, amana, akarta. So each of them is, is cutting down one position. Uh, for example, aprano. This is from the Mundaka Upanishad. Aprano, yamana, shubhra, without the vital force and without the mind, pure. Pure means pure consciousness. Mundaka Upanishad. Same thing he's, he's quoting. And then, um, so mind and, and uh, prana are, are rejected by this quotation itself. Aprano, yamana, shubhra. Then, then, there was one Buddhist who said, uh, Vigyanamaya Atma, the mind, mind school, mind only school of Buddhist, the uh, Vigyanavadi. He said, the Vigyanamaya Kosha is the Atma, the sheath of intellect. Here he says, Akatta, the non doer. Remember, agentship is a characteristic of the Vigyanamaya Kosha. And uh, here we are quoting from the Upanishad, which says, the self, pure consciousness, is not an agent. Is not a doer. Where, where is this quotation from? Shvetashvatar Upanishad. Anantascha Atma Vishwarupa Hyakatta. So the, the self, you, the self, you are limitless. You appear as the universe and you are not a doer of any action. You are not an agent of an action. So Akatta. Then there was another group, the Prabhakara Tarkika, Nyaya Vaisheshika school and one school of the Mimamsa, who came forward and said, the Anandamaya Kosha, what you experience in deep sleep, when everything is resolved into a potential blankness, that is the real nature of the self. Then he says, um, uh, he gives a quotation from the Kaivalya Upanishad. Nachasti Vetamama Chidsadaham very beautiful quotation from Kaibali Upanishad, which says, I, the self, no one can know me. I am not an object for anyone. Then how is it known? Chit sadaham. I am eternally consciousness. I am light shining forth. By my shining forth alone, I am known by myself. But I am never known as an object. I am not an object to anybody. So this quotation, Nachasti, there exists no Veta, knower of mine. Then who am I? Chit sadaham. I am always of the nature of consciousness. This cuts down that position that we are of the nature of the deep sleep experience, blankness. No, I am always consciousness. Then you remember the next group came along and said, your consciousness plus that blankness in deep sleep. The Kumari Labhatta, Purvam Nimamsa philosopher. We are light and darkness together. Then he gives a quotation, Chinmatra, consciousness only. 
not consciousness plus anandamaya kosha not consciousness not light and darkness light only where is this quotation from this is from the again from the kaivalya upanishad chinmatroham sada shiva i am pure consciousness i am of the nature of the eternal being sada shiva and then sat the final quotation is from the chandogya upanishad sadeva samyadamagra asit before all of this universe manifested there existed only one pure being and tattvamasi shvetaketu that that being pure being you are o shvetaketu nine times in the chandogya upanishad tattvamasi tattvamasi you are that you are that why is he quoting this he is cutting down the school of uh, the void emptiness we're saying asat non existence if you interpret it in that very simplistic way non existence is the self you know self is existence itself so all the nine positions have been cut down by these quotations from the scriptures now at this point one might object hey wait a minute they also quoted scriptures once somebody said um, um uh, annamaya atma the body is the self it's a quotation from the upanishad you are quoting that it's not because you quoted pratyagat or you quoted asthula um it is not not the gross body but who is to say whose quotation is right is your quotation right or his quotation right both are quotations you have to see then how do you decide uh, there is a whole process of deciding the point is to decide what is the purpose the meaning in sanskrit tatparya the whole point of the text what are they trying to point out are they trying to point out that the body is the self or are they trying to point out that the body is not the self and that consciousness is the self so if you read the text and if you apply those methods there are very interesting methods to actually process a text it's called shard vidalinga it will come up later in this book how do you understand a text how do you scientifically systematically methodically derive the meaning from a passage so by that we realize that what we are seeing is saying is the purport of the text that body is not the self Uh, prana is not the self mind is not the self intellect is not the self the immortal consciousness which we are that is the self and so this is the purport of the text uh, of the upanishad so your quotation is not right our quotation is from uh, is a stronger sentence from the upanishad stronger means it points to the purport of the upanishad yours is further away so he says prabala shruti virodhat because your quotations contradict stronger quotations which we are giving asya putradi shunya paryantasya all of this from um, the son of the child up to the emptiness all of this is so now he's going to give argument so now this portion about quoting the upanishad is over i have shown you that your quotations are weaker our quotations are stronger we win we have overruled your objections are overruled now argument can you give a reason to show that we are wrong that the body is not the self that the mind is not the self we have given so many reasons why don't you give us some of your reasons to show that these are wrong and so he says one very powerful master stroke he gives he says putradi shunya paryantasya jadasya chaitanya bhasyatvena from the you know from the son or the child up to emptiness all the nine candidates you have put forward for being the self 
they are all experienced by consciousness they are all objects to consciousness including the most subtle um, proposition you had that the emptiness is the self but that is also revealed by consciousness who thought of it to whom does it appear what realizes that emptiness so all of this body mind even emptiness they are all illumined by revealed by consciousness chaitanya bhasya tvena jadasya they are objects being objects they may be a gross object like the body or they may be a very subtle abstract thing like emptiness but they are all objects to consciousness what are you are you an object or are you consciousness you are consciousness you are always on the consciousness is always on your side and what is an object is an object to consciousness you cannot be an object you are the knower of the object you are the experiencer of the object you that's why you are called the subject so jarasya chaitanya bhasvatvena ghatadivad anityatvat all of these are illumined by consciousness they are objects they are in insentient being insentient they are matter and matter all of matter starting from maya down to this universe is continuously changing anityam it changes maya itself is not anityam but all the products of maya are anityam they are subject to change they are subject to change they cannot be the self so why can they it's a little convoluted the argument here why can they not be the self see how they are doing it is they are objects to consciousness if you had stopped there that itself would have been a very strong argument that um, i am conscious i am aware this is very clear and if you show anything that is i am aware of then i can't be that the first principle of drigdrishya viveka you can stop there but he has gone a little further all the things that you said the child or the body or the senses or the mind these are all objects to consciousness whatever is an object is material jara and whatever is material is subject to continuous change whatever is subject to continuous change is non eternal it has a beginning and an end you may say so but if it is non eternal it can't be the self the self cannot have a beginning and an end so he has a very complicated argument and a slightly complicated argument the self cannot have a beginning and an end why not suppose you say a self has a beginning and an end um it cannot in the sense that uh, it this goes against the fundamental tenet of all indian philosophies and remember he's arguing against different indian philosophers the law of karma the law of karma states that whatever we are experiencing is because of our past karma causes have effects conditions have given rise to these things so causes have consequence consequences actions have consequences causes have effects that is karma it is our past karma which is manifesting as this present life now imagine if i the self had a beginning then i would suddenly be manifested with a body and a mind and a family and a you know, like good and bad things in my life where did they come from where did they come from because you you are saying that i did not exist earlier so it cannot be the result of my past karma this is called akrita bhupagama the sudden arrival the contingency the sudden arrival of things which are uncaused this is taken as a great uh, error any philosopher you can push to this position is defeated it's like be- being checkmated 
So you, have, you are saying that things can happen without any cause. They hear some of the theistic religions, what do they say? God created all of it. Then the problem will be God will be responsible for the differences in the world. God will be partial then. Whereas in Indian philosophy, what happens in all the schools of Indian philosophy, it is our karma which is result which has resulted in this life. Cause has given rise to this effect. Second big problem will be if the self comes to an end, then a lot of karma which we have done, that we will not get the results. Some people may have done evil things and suddenly the self comes to an end. Self is non-eternal. Self comes to an end. Then who will get the results of all the uh, evil deeds? This is called Kritanasha. What has been done is destroyed without giving results. But no, the law of karma is one common idea among all these philosophers, except the materialists. All these philosophers, they hold that um, uh, whatever we are experiencing is because of past karma and whatever we have done, it will give rise to uh, effects. So the self must be eternal. And that's why the Jivatma, the self, is regarded as eternal in all Indian philosophies, except the materialists. Even the Buddhists, immediately many people will say, no, 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 Buddhists don't agree with this. Even the Buddhists, they say the self is momentary. But the stream of consciousness, with their momentary selves, moment to moment, uh, that is eternal. That goes on forever. So... Um, Non-eternal self cannot be admitted. But if you say body is the self or mind is the self, these are all non-eternal. Why are they non-eternal? Because they are material. Why are they material? Because they are objects of consciousness. Why are they objects of consciousness? Because they are experienced. Therefore, the argument is, or just take the simple core argument. All of these candidates you put forward, all these nine candidates for being the self, they are all experienced by the self. How can they be the self? Just you can take that much of an argument. So this argument is a very good argument and uh, it cuts down all those other positions. It actually is a pretty deep argument. Experience. Please give us an experience. We have um, quoted innumerable experience, innumerable experiences to show body is the self or mind is the self. Can you give us an experience to show that body, mind are not the self? Um, Brahman, whatever you say is, uh, is a self. He says, Aham Brahmeti Vidva Danubhava Prabalyacha. So, I am Brahman is the experience of enlightened beings. And that is a more powerful experience than all your experiences. Why? What he's saying here is, yes, I am Brahman. This is experienced. I am the, I am, the self is Brahman. Atma is Brahman is an experience. All enlightened people experience this. Experience this means they know this. They realize it. One might say, but there are so few in number. <laughs> there are billions and billions of unenlightened people. So our experience, I am the body or I am the mind, I am a miserable creature. This must be reality. Just because a few people feel that they are God, they must be deluded. They are megalomaniacs. We are not God. We are just this body-mind. No. Um, a true experience will always cut down a false one. Just as no matter in your dreams, Suppose there are millions of people who say that this is real, this is real. The moment you wake up, the one dreamer wakes up, the, all the opinions of millions of people in the dream is immediately cancelled. So who can say this is right or wrong? A person who experiences the world just like us and then goes on to become enlightened and sees it from the other side, that person can say. Who can say that it's not a snake, it's a rope? 
the person who has seen the snake just like us by mistake and then corrects it and sees that it's a rope that person can say unless we see both sides of it we we have no right to say he is wrong and we are right i am brahman do you have any idea of what is brahman have you uh, ever experienced that no then how do you know that that is wrong and you are right experience that realize that then say no no there is no such thing i am the body is the final answer nobody has ever said that okay and so he says all those earlier quotations from scriptures arguments and experiences badi tattva they have been refuted cancelled negated by um, by what we have just said putradi shunya paryantam akhilam anatmeva from the child onwards to emptiness all of those are not the self they are not atma so now all these people they are saying all right so what is the self is a wise guy so you are a wise guy what is the self tell us what what's the self in your opinion now he will um, quote he will state the advaitic position 135 ataha tat tad bhasakam nitya shuddha buddha mukta satya swabhavam प्रत्यक्षेदेशन evam madhyaropaha so this is the limit of superimposition this above is an account of superimposition which one what we had started from text number 122 if you go back no not 122 it's wrong what had started from adhyaropa apavad so from 32 from text number 32 long way back text number 32 what is adhyaropaha text number 32 remember asarpa bhutayam rajyo sarparopavat vastuni avastu aropa adhyaropaha text number 32 not page number 32 text number 32 what is superimposition the mistake taking taking the rope to be a snake that is called superimposition um so taking brahman to be the world that is superimposition so from that till now what we were discussing is superimposition why did we come to be in this state why are we in this sorry state now so this is the whole discussion but remember the desuperimposition has already started because when you went through this exercise of i'm not the body not the mind not the intellect and you say why those are wrong and i am the witness consciousness why that is right there's already a desuperimposition has started okay the next chapter will be desuperimposition proper let's quickly take a look at activity in the chat okay girish says is it fair to say that in madhyamaka philosophy objects are real but inherently non existing in contrast to advaita objects are unreal but pure existence um not quite because in madhyamaka philosophy the objects are real only in the sense that they are conventionally real bodies minds people things they are real conventionally the nagarjuna introduced this distinction between conventional truth and ultimate truth he said the buddha taught two truths samritti satyam satyam cha paramarthikam samritti satyam means transactional truth relative truth which we call in advaita vedanta 
ವ್ಯವಹಾರಿಕ ಸತ್ಯಂ ಸೊ ಎಸ್ ಆಲ್ ದಿ ಆಬ್ಜೆಕ್ಟ್ಸ್ ಆರ್ ಕನ್ವೆನ್ಷನಲಿ ರಿಯಲ್ ಬಟ್ ಇನ್ ಅದ್ವೈತ ವೇದಾಂತ ಆಲ್ಸೋ ಆಲ್ ದಿ ಆಬ್ಜೆಕ್ಟ್ಸ್ ಆರ್ ಕನ್ವೆನ್ಷನಲಿ ರಿಯಲ್ ಇನ್ ಅವರ್ ಡೇ ಟು ಡೇ ಲೈಫ್ ಇಟ್ಸ್ ರಿಯಲ್ ಇಫ್ ಯು ಕನ್ಸಿಡರ್ ದ ಬಾಡಿ ಟು ಬಿ ರಿಯಲ್ ದೆನ್ ದ ಚೇರ್ ಯು ಆರ್ ಸಿಟಿಂಗ್ ಆನ್ ಇಸ್ ಆಲ್ಸೋ ರಿಯಲ್ ಯು ಕಾಂಟ್ ಸೇ ಐ ಆಮ್ ದಿಸ್ ಬಾಡಿ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ದ ಚೇರ್ ಐಮ್ ಸಿಟಿಂಗ್ ಆನ್ ಇಸ್ ಅನ್ರಿಯಲ್ ದೆನ್ ಯುಲ್ ಬಿ ಫಾಲ್ ಫ್ಲಾಟ್ ಆನ್ ದ ಫ್ಲೋರ್ ಇನ್ ನೋ ಟೈಮ್ ಸೊ ಬೋತ್ ಆರ್ ಆಫ್ ದ ಸೇಮ್ ಆರ್ಡರ್ ಆಫ್ ರಿಯಾಲಿಟಿ ಬಟ್ ಅಲ್ಟಿಮೇಟ್ಲಿ ಯು ರಿಯಲೈಸ್ ದೀಸ್ ಆರ್ ಅನ್ರಿಯಲ್ ಆರ್ ಅಪಿಯರೆನ್ಸಸ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮನ್ ಅಲೋನ್ ಇಸ್ ರಿಯಲ್ ಇನ್ ಅದ್ವೈತ ವೇದಾಂತ ರಿಕ್ ಸೆಡ್ it said that all these philosophers are deluded to varying degrees starting with extremely if you understood you collectively last week you said all of them could be enlightened how could one be both deluded and enlightened yeah all of them could be enlightened you're right but uh, i will modify my statement and say i'm leaving out the extremely deluded the the, the very worldly person also the materialists who say body is um, the self and so on and so forth and those who could be enlightened would i would include only the ones who who starting with the buddhist so i will leave out the um the materialist and uh, the the just the simply ignorant person they are not enlightened obviously the madhyamaka philosopher for example might be considered enlightened depending on what interpretation you give to shunya girish says how can emptiness be equal to equivalent to fullness yes so that is something for example swami saradan ji says what we call purnam fullness infinite is what they call empty shunyam think about it this way a golden ornaments for example now all the ornaments are the the gold itself is the reality of all the ornaments but in the gold are there any ornaments this is a certain question i'm asking take the gold itself think about the gold itself so obviously there is the for example the necklace yes but which part of gold is a necklace none of it necklace is the form well at least the form is a necklace but no where is the form in the gold which form belongs to gold if there's a form which belongs to gold if the ornament belongs to gold it would always be with the gold would always be a necklace but it isn't the same gold continues to be a bracelet it can be a brick of gold it can be a lump of gold it can be a ring of gold so the ring brick lump necklace they come and go gold in itself is empty of all ornaments similarly the ultimate reality is empty of all entities it is shunyam you can think of brahman as a void because not because nothing is there everything the entire universe being there brahman is completely empty you the atman you're completely empty of the universe nothing is there actually from you nakinchidit ashtavakra makes it clear again and again the enlightened person sees this universe and knows it to be nothing at all so in that sense brahman pure consciousness is pure being pure consciousness is empty is empty of entities and the other way around um and yet from an advaitic perspective the other way around everything is full of brahman everything is full up there is nothing else except brahman here it is full universe is pervaded through and through there is a um, phrase used in the upanishad ota prota ota prota means uh, the warp and the woof when you make a cloth you um, you know you spin it this way weave it this way and that way 
So this is called Oda Prosa. Everything in this universe is filled to the brim with Brahman in that sense. Because there is nothing but Brahman. Uh, Sadhu in Uttarakhand put it this way. Thasathas Bharpur. Everything is packed with Brahman. There is, where will the universe exist? There is no space for anything to exist except Brahman. You see why? It's right here. See, if other than existence, what can exist? If it is something other than existence, it's non-existent. And if it is one with existence, then it's nothing but existence. Just like the golden ornament. If it is anything other than gold, it will disappear. But if it is gold, then it's nothing other than gold. It's not an ornament. So golden ornament is always full of gold. But the gold is always empty of ornament. In this sense. Um, okay. Well, Rodrigo is saying... Sandhya and Rajiv are saying, is it right to say manas plus buddhi is equal to chitta? We have defined chitta. Remember, now I'm going to catch hold of you. All definitions have been more or less given to you. What is body? What is chitta? What is ahankara? What is, um, uh, you know, um, the intellect, the five koshas? What is gross? What is subtle? What is causal? Everything has been explained. So chitta is uh, the function of the mind, which is memory. Or the mind altogether is called chitta, which will include manabuddhi chitta ahankara. So mind, what is mind? Buddhi, what is intellect? Ahankara, what is ego? What does it do? What is its function? And chitta, memory, what is its function? So in specifically, memory is called chitta or all four together, memory, ego, mind and intellect together are taken and called chitta. Do charvakas acknowledge the law of karma? No, they don't. This is the big thing. They don't. And they say that it all begins with the birth of the body and ends with the death of the body. There is nothing before that and nothing after that individually. Of course, matter goes on, physical matter goes on. They deny it. Uh, Alpana is saying that is um, consciousness intelligent? Okay, again. Sanskrit words. Consciousness, Chaitanyam. Intelligence, Buddhi. So is consciousness itself intelligent? No. Is it stupid? No. Intelligent stupid applies to conditions of the buddhi. And both are illumined by consciousness. So for example, a computer, the laptop I'm using, is it conscious? As far as we know, it's not. Is it intelligent? In a sense, yes, in the, from the behavioral perspective. It can do intelligent things. A mouse, is it uh, intelligent? No, it's pretty dumb. Is it conscious? Yes, it's conscious. All right. Um, then Punita ji is saying, two facts I seem to take for granted, that I was born, I will die. I have no direct experience of either. The only direct and persistent experience I have is that I'm conscious. Yet I find it hard to live by the fact that I'm pure consciousness. All the hold of Maya, of course, that is true. But this direct and persistent experience I have that I'm consciousness, I'm conscious or I'm consciousness, often we are saying we have a direct experience of that. Our attention is not there, actually. What Vedanta is doing is persistently drawing our attention to this fact of, of that we are consciousness. What is consciousness and that we are always conscious? It's a great thing to become aware of. Pradeep Bose is saying in text 135, attributes like intelligence are quoted, but Brahman is free of attributes. Swamiji, would you please explain? Text number 135 is... Yeah. So, nitya, shuddha, buddha, mukta, swabha, satya, swabhava. Intelligent means, intelligence here means consciousness. Uh, nitya, eternal. 
Shuddha, pure. Buddha is consciousness. Mukta, always free. Satya, existence. In that sense. Then uh, Vishwanath is saying, so Sri Krishna in chapter 9, verses 4 and 5, he says, maintaining these points, Purnam and devoid of all points. Mayantatamidam sarvam, matstani sarvabhutani, and then he denies that. Nacha matstani. That is a great section in chapter 9, uh, Raja Vidya, Raja Guhya Yoga, that is, uh, um, I, in all beings exist in me. I am that one infinite existence in all beings exist in me. And the next, he says, just the next verse, Krishna says, behold, they don't exist in me. This is, ex this is what was going on right now. Good, very good quotation. Abhijit Krishna says, the mouse example was tricky, as you mentioned, just after the computer. It turned out to be conscious. Yes, so the, it can be conscious without being particularly intelligent, a mouse. Why I mentioned it was, I heard a talk by Anil Seth. He is a consciousness researcher, Dr. Anil Seth in, in England. So he gave, said something which re resonated with me very much in the one talk. He said, uh, you don't have to be smart to suffer. You don't have to be smart to suffer. You have to be conscious to suffer. So a mouse is not smart. It can't do many things with computer. Deep blue can play chess, but the mouse can't play chess. It's not smart. It's not intelligent, but it can suffer. If a cat catches the mouse, the mouse you can clearly see the mouse is suffering very much. Suffering requires consciousness. The deep blue computer, very intelligent. It can't suffer. So, so Mike, why I'm saying this is the question was, is consciousness the same as intelligence? No, there can be consciousness without intelligence. And there can be intelligence without consciousness. All on the, on the of course, Vevaharika, the transactional plane. Ultimately, there is only consciousness. What you call mouse, what you call computer, they are not, they are all appearances, like the gold ornaments. The reality is consciousness only. Only in the mouse, consciousness is manifest uh, because of the antakkarana. Computer doesn't have an antakkarana, so consciousness is not manifest there. Okay, Rick says, and yet one cell in the body of a mouse is more complex. Yes, so there's a kind of inter intelligence inherent in nature. But I'm talking about the in intelligence which is part of our minds. Okay. Dimitri, we'll conclude with his question. Uh, yes, uh, Swamiji, uh, doesn't mean that uh, ultimately there is still uh, a hint of uh, some face that is needed because until you have the enlightenment, ultimately you, you have no proof of this theory. Like there is a lot of practicality to it. There is a lot of uh, things that you can observe and verify as true, but uh, the ultimate one that, you know, the Brahman is the ultimate existence and bliss and consciousness is verifiable only at the enlightenment point. And therefore it sort of requires some faith in it until that point comes. Yes and no. You see, it's, uh, uh, if it was something that you have to do these practices and then you'll have an extraordinary burst of an experience which will verify all the claims. So like, um, say, in Patanjali Yoga or some Tantra systems, fine, that, that's one way. And that's also a valid way. That's what you are saying. But actually here, it is not like that. This is the beauty of the Advaita system. It's much more like um, what you understand in mathematics, for example. So you don't have to have anything more than understanding it in mathematics to get it. So you have, you work at it. You take it that much for granted that the equations are right. It's not false. 
you work at it till you get it. Similarly, you work at it till you get it. And this getting it is deepened into what we call enlightenment. There are not two different things. You get it technically, you get it theoretically. I've got it now, but now I have to wait for enlightenment. In Advaita Vedanta, it is on the same spectrum. That getting it itself deepens into enlightenment. There will come a point where you will not even ask this question. You, you, you might say that you might not claim enlightenment, but you will have to say this, this must be right. There's no other way. What else is right? <laughs> right. The, the thing is that what, what challenges uh, kind of the ideas that come to my mind when I try to think about this is that, yes, it all seems very logical and clear, but at the same time, I have very short period of time uh, available to me through my observation. Right, what it is like? There is nothing that can I, I, that would uh, that I could claim that let's say why it's not an infinite, an infinite regress of the observers. Like during my lifetime, yes, I definitely can see there is no infinite regress on observers. There is one, but I have very short period of time available to me to actually use as a data point to, for thinking. Like uh, the the thought the, the thought that I cannot explain by logic is that. Well, if I, if I uh, extrapolate the time available, like, well, maybe it is an infinite regress. I have no way to prove or disprove it. Um, look at it this way. If you raise the issue of time, even time is illumined and revealed by consciousness, even scales of time. So I might in my dream think that I have uh, had a long and fruitful life. 50 years or 70 years and wake up to realize it was a dream of a few minutes. See, even the scales of time, even the duration of time is actually dependent on our psychological experience of time. It's only when you take a very realistic, reductionist, material uh, view of the universe, then, um, uh, then it's fixed. Space is fixed, time is fixed, the, the theater, the stage is fixed for the drama of life. I can't do anything to it. But uh, when you take an Advaitic perspective, the stage is not fixed. There's a whole drama of life appears in, you are the stage itself, including time and space, they appear in you. Don't put yourself into the you, the consciousness, don't fit yourself into the framework of time and space. Rather time and space are fitted into the framework or appear in consciousness. Let's think about that. Even the question you asked of a regression of uh, infinite regress of observers, and that I have only a thin slice of time, but is already accepting a realist worldview. Yeah. Thank you. Things are appearing to me that nobody can deny, that you have to accept. But what does it mean? Does it mean that there is a physical universe out there with respect to consciousness? Notice that the entire reductionist materialist worldview has not been able to incorporate consciousness into it so far. And they can only go so far as to say, somehow, living matter produces consciousness. Yeah, it's worth thinking about. And the beauty, and the beauty of the Advaitic approach sounds so dramatically, you know, radical. And yet, if Advaita were true, all of science would be true. There would be at no point there would be any conflict with science. It's just the reductionist materialist viewpoint which would not be the final viewpoint. Every scientific discovery would still be valid at its own level. 
that's the beauty of Advaita, I think. That's the thing why it is so compatible with uh, the deepest modern understanding of the universe. All right, let's end this here. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Tat Shri Ram Krishna Rupa Namaste.